Welcome to Wood Talk, for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who like to use a lot of words, yet say nothing at all. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 222 for February 23rd, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about attaching a sitting bench top to a base. Is the router plane fence necessary? Dealing with the mystery goo after finishing. Boy, that one sounds creepy, frankly. <laughs> Especially because somebody added the after finishing. I just dropped it in there as dealing with mystery you goo. You know, I added that for clarification, and now I see my error. <laughs> Seriously, come on. Whoops. Now. Well, all that and more coming up. But first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. And we're going to be a little self indulgent today. In the Wood Whisperer Guild, each project is a digital course designed to teach you the fundamentals of quality craftsmanship. Visit them online. I say them, of course, I mean me. Online at thewoodwhispererguild.com. The Hand Tool School is like an apprenticeship that teaches you how to, how to use hand tools. I'm really off today. And to build furniture with traditional methods, visit them online at handtoolschool.net. And Matt's Basement Workshop is the longest-running woodworking podcast online. Support Matt's efforts by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Workshop. Pretty cool, right? Absolutely. Now, I can I can pay for this ad spot in, in, in like, uh, installment plan, right? I That's expect a PayPal this? payment by the end of the show, please. Oh, boy. Actually, can we just erase that then? <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> we'll, we'll cut that one out. Uh, we'd also like to thank a few special people who helped us out with direct donations or a recurring donation, which you could do at woodtalkshow.com. Vic Hubbard, our good buddy. Uh, Stephen, well, all these people are our good buddies now. Um, Stephen <laughs> Griffiths, uh, Rob Hartley, Jason Coggle. Jim Hobbs, Kevin Kittinger, and Scott McClory. Thank you so much, everybody. We appreciate the support. And wow, everyone, they, uh, that reads like the who's who on my Facebook feed. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I have one quick announcement to make. We decided to do a little giveaway thing here for Wood Talk. And if you've uh, seen the Wood Whisperer giveaways, you're familiar with the system that we're going to use for this. Uh, makes it pretty easy to get multiple entries each time you sign up, which is kind of a cool way to do it. So if you go to woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway, you've got a chance to win some good stuff every month. And uh, this month, I believe we have a Wood Talk t-shirt and also a Wood Whisperer Guild project. We're in the middle of the modern chest of drawers and nightstand project, which is uh, definitely a good one. That's kind of like a twofer. And you could get both. Actually, no, one person will get one and one person will get the other. So there will be two winners and there's only one of each prize. That makes sense. Okay, so go to woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway and you could sign up for that. And uh, it's pretty cool. I'm excited about it. And each month, we're each going to kind of throw something into the pot. So maybe next month, Shannon will have a hand tool school related thing. And then Matt can throw in something related to his uh, his premium stuff that he's doing these days or even T-shirts. Raspberry um, scented beard oil. Mm, that sounds uh, good. That's ginger beard. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> ginger <laughs> beard. That, that might smell weird. Does your wife like that? The ginger? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She'll like bury her face in it. And then I'm like, please. Okay. Now I've got like a face imprint in my beard. Now I got to start all over again. Next time I see you, Matt, can I bury my face in your beard? Uh, Would that be we'll weird? about it. Okay. We'll, we'll, as long as there's no cameras around. Well, okay. the hell? We'll do some cameras and we'll make some money off that. Uh, let's just go say, for it, I just it, man. need to be there with a the camera. <laughs> just go for the win. Who cares? All right. So let's move into what's on the bench. I'm going to make mine very quick. There's not a whole lot. It's early in the week and I haven't had a chance to really get in there other than the last 30 minutes trimming a couple of tenons down. Uh, so really not much for me to say and I'll move right on to Shannon. 
Wait, my favorite part about that before we go to Shannon yeah, is sure. the fact that before you started recording, you said that your wife had to come in and ruin your fun and say, hey, you got to go do a show. Yeah, well, I was doing show notes all day long. And uh, then I go in there just to kind of take up 45 minutes and do what I can. And I got into complete woodworking mode. I was in the zone and and she comes in and she's like, um, don't you have a show to do? I was like, ah, crap. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Stupid wood talk. Yeah, change gears back to wood talk. So, all right, Shannon, what about you? Uh, I was working on, I'm building a new cabinet to go in my shop actually to hold, keep all of my very expensive collection of camera gear out of the dust and stuff. Nice. And, um, I decided to make the whole thing, the whole case using miters. I wanted kind of a new challenge. So I was working on that this week and I'm doing the whole thing live in the monthly Hentel school live sessions. And it's kind of fun because they, it's like, I work on it for I don't know, about three hours the night before the event. And then I work on it live for about an hour, hour and a half. The whole principle is that I, I won't do a lot off camera, you know, other yeah. than really, really repetitive stuff, just because, you know, there's always that stuff that you kind of edit out. Um, and it's always one of the big uh, criticisms of like TV shows. Well, how did you do this? Well, I don't know. They just skipped over it. So I figured why not build the whole thing live. But what I've discovered is that these really, really resinous woods like teak that I'm building this cabin out of, <laughs> they mess me up. Um, I usually, you know, I don't have, I'm not real, real sensitive to wood dust or anything like that. You know, I work with cherry and walnut and maple and most of the domestics all the time. No problems whatsoever. Um, and granted, you know, hand tools, they're not, it's not like they don't make dust. It's just, it's bigger dust. It's heavier dust and it doesn't hang out in the air very long. But like I built a cabin out of Western red cedar a couple of years ago, and I was just so stuffed up. I had a horrible headache. <laughs> Same thing happened to me with this teak, and, and I just noticed it because when I started building this cabinet a month ago, I was kind of – felt like crap, frankly, the next day. Wow. And then this weekend, I, this, I spent Friday night working on it, preparing for the session, and then Saturday morning and then a little bit into Saturday afternoon working on this. And I woke up Sunday with like a horrible like congestion sinus headache and – just uh, just felt nasty. And then it suddenly occurred to me, holy crap, not only is teak really expensive, <laughs> it's bad for my health. It kicks you in the so, butt twice, once when you yeah. buy it and once when you use it. <laughs> well, and, and it, it's not just teak. It's obviously because teak is really, really oily. Um, it's not really resinous. It's oily. But like Western red cedar, very resinous. Spanish cedar, very resinous. Alaskan yellow cedar, I mean, you can cut that stuff and the smell lingers in the shop for like three weeks after. And I've worked with all of those and it's the same thing that comes up from time to time. And when I think about it, if I use like, you know, really poor quality pine, like go to Home Depot and buy the really sappy crap, yeah. it, it's the same thing. I get really, really stuffy. So obviously there's some sort of something that just messes with my, uh, messes with my constitution. But so, I know I've heard of like people, just random emails here and there and forum posts and stuff, people talking about having sensitivities to various woods. And obviously some people are more sensitive than others, but do you think there is a cumulative effect having worked with these things over to the course of time that is getting worse for you? No, I don't think so. Cause I honestly don't work with them that much. Okay. I mean, I can, I can, when I was kind of thinking about this on Sunday, I was, Okay, well, I built that corner cabin out of Western Red Cedar, and I felt a little weird there. I built that columbarium for a local church out of Spanish Cedar, and I felt a little weird there. Um, I've just messed around with Western Red Cedar when we've gotten into the um, into the yard, and I've had to bring a couple pieces home to mill them up for samples uh, because the 
whatever. Um, guys, this is a thing. Guys of the yard know that I have a planer at home. So it's like, oh, it's too small to run through the planer up there. Can you take that home and plane it? Um, so I've had to do a fair amount of that. And, and literally I can draw that direct line to using those woods. So it's yeah. not like I was fine at one point working with these woods and then it kind of got bad. No, the minute I started working with them, it got bad. Yeah, direct correlation. So, so. Yeah, I mean, oh, most cool. of the wood, the woodworking I do is with your typical tempered hardwood domestics, maple, cherry, walnut, even mahogany, even though that's not a tempered hardwood domestic. Um, it is specifically those resinous, really resinous woods. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the only other time I've worked with really oily woods has been on the lathe. And I'm like totally vigilant about wearing a respirator on the lathe. I remember when I first started turning on lathe, I was using something, some sort of rosewood, and it got like all over my arms. <laughs> And they were like bright red and itchy after that. It was something – wasn't Coca below, but something along that line. you know. And I immediately knew, oh my god, I've got to protect myself when I'm on the lathe because the stuff's just flying everywhere. Yeah. So um, this is the only other time. And you know, maybe you get a little cavalier, I suppose, as a hand tool user. I don't need to worry about dust. No big deal. That's not true. <laughs> it's just not true. The stuff gets in the air, especially when I'm, I'm hand sawing. Because when you come back on the backstroke, my my hand on the handle of the saw is almost level with my face, and the dust is falling out of those gullets. You know, so you think about it, you're you're pulling the dust up towards your your nose with every single stroke, and it falls out of the gullets and kind of floats down just below your your face. So yeah. there's every possibility you're inhaling it. And there's been times when I've done a lot of rip sawing that actually put a respirator on because you can kind of feel that stuffiness coming on yeah. so there's our, our safety disclaimer for the day yeah Wood no kidding hand tools are not dust free <laughs> right it's especially cool, when man. you pick them up and chew on them is, yeah, you know that, shannon in the medical world we actually call that the freaky tiki crud freaky. So, <laughs> so that's nice. what you're suffering from right now I like that there's, there's the show title right there that <laughs> also sounds like a dance it does. From yeah. like the there, there is a dance for it too. Uh, it came from a medical community when they're like, oh, I don't know what to call this. Get it off nice. me. Oh, that's awesome. Well, what about you, Matt? Mm. Well, have another actually, drink while you're at it. Yeah, exactly. Hold on. I got to take a big gulp now. <laughs> uh, kind of the same thing I, as you, Mark. I've been kind of uh, working on the, the build that I have going on right now, making a lot of progress again, just waiting for something horrible to happen. There was a minor incident the other day, but nothing that can't be easily fixed and hidden being the more important thing. <laughs> but one thing I, I have reminded myself of is a slight love-hate relationship with uh, router bit sets. In this particular situation, coming up in the, in the next video, I demonstrate uh, and by demonstrate, I mean I, I slightly show off uh, my use of a router bit set for a tongue and groove. And just like the, the lock miter joint, there, it seems like there are certain times when you go to use these things that there's a certain way you set it up and then somehow you can never get it set up again the right way. <laughs> yeah. So in this situation, I, I got the groove cut, which is super simple. It's just a slot cutter. But when it came time to match up the tongue to fit into the slot, I spent probably – way more time trying to dial in that fit to make sure that I could get it just the right way than it probably would have taken me to either cut them by hand or just to simply have done all of the tongue and groove uh, work 
uh, with just a data blade. I mean, it was just insane. Yeah. Once I got it set up, it worked really decent. But that setup time is just like one of those. I wanted to pick up the router bit table or the router table and chuck it across the room. Now, I can't do that, but at least it's on wheels, so I shoved it really hard. <laughs> you showed it. Um, so, in other words, instead of you having a router bit of the month, you're having a router bit time of the month. Yeah, yeah. yeah ah, bum. <laughs> nice. Sorry, so, ladies. Sorry. Were these uh, really long? Were these long pieces or are these like small tongue and grooves on the end of like frame parts or something? They're on the short end. So yeah, so on the frames. Okay. So the really short ones. So yeah, so thankfully that, that wasn't so bad. But yeah, just trying to get those things lined up. And that's the other nice thing is since they're hidden, I don't know about you guys, but if I have like hidden components, I, I, I'm openly admitting that I am willing to like not go the distance of making them look absolutely perfect. There's times I look at it and go, you know what? There's a little, it's sitting a little proud or something, and that's why uh, they invented hand planes. <laughs> Flush <laughs> it up after the fact. <laughs> exactly. Cool. So everything's going to move across it nicely, and there's no issues with that, and nobody's ever going to see it unless you have that one particular person that loves to pull out the drawers and then critique everything. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's kind of the voice of experience where you, you know what actually has physical or visual impact in the final thing. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't get the same level of attention and importance that everything else does. Well, yeah, nothing wrong yeah, with it, that. It's like, I, it's, I think it, a little traction in your drawer travel is a good idea because you don't want the drawer just flying out. <laughs> frictionless drawer slide. You want it to kind of grab, you know? <laughs> exactly. You need a little bite. Keeps the, <laughs> keeps the drawer from falling out and, you know, landing on your foot or something. Yeah, and sometimes it's the only form of exercise that I get during the day. So it's important <laughs> to have that built in. Yeah, well, it's good wrist exercise when you have to, like, raise it and lower it a hundred times right. to just kind of... Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move into uh, what's new. We've got a couple things here. The first one from Adam, he says, this has to be the largest hand plane I've ever seen. And it's a YouTube video. It's like, do you remember, oh, it wasn't that long ago, we had these, they looked like um, Japanese planing competitions, yes. you know, where they're taking the long, long shavings. or something like that. Yeah. And this is, it's that type of thing, but this one is even wider. This plane has to be at least a foot in width from side to side. <laughs> and there's this big timber sitting on, you know, saw horses and the guy's just running it all the way across. And it's got to be like, I don't know, a, a 14, 16 foot run of this steady all the way through making this just gossamer, you know, perfect shaving. And it's it's one of those things where on, you know, on one level you look at it and go, this is so dumb. But as a woodworker, who knows what it must take to get that, even just to get the board ready for that type of operation. And then to run a full 12 inch wide, and I, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's got to be at least 12 inches. Uh, to to run that across this board and not have it, you know, the shaving break during that entire time is flipping amazing. So it's just you fun to watch. I think what's more impressive that people don't talk about is just how damn flat that timber is. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, because it's it's a transparent shaving. So yes, there's something to be said about keeping the plane engaged the whole time, but mm -hmm. that timber has to be. Did the guy who prepared that before he came along? He's the one that needs the applause. Yeah, hire the, that guy because he knows what he's doing. Foot long, twelve foot wide timber that's flat to within a thousandth of an inch across its entire length. Good on you, man. Yeah, it's it's seriously impressive when you know what what had to have gone in to prep for that that smoothing activity that's going on there. So it, really awesome stuff. A lot of fun. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll I, I like watching everybody as the plane went by. So you see their hands immediately go onto it and start feeling it. And they're all like, talking, oh, caressing yeah. the wood. Yeah, it looked like a very inefficient way to make toilet paper. 
Right. <laughs> yes. You know? Well, it's it's funny because in the hand tool world, we often brag that well, you know, my hand plane is has unlimited width to its joiner. This guy took it literally. It just <laughs> yeah. said one pass. I'm going to flatten the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Really cool. I just stuff. kept I kept thinking, man, I don't know if I could fit that blade on my Tormek. How would I be able to sharpen? <laughs> How am I going to sharpen that? <laughs> oh my lord, they're going to have to come out with a whole new jig for that. Right. You need a one foot wide grinding wheel. There you go. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> why just not? A really steady pass to make sure that you're always pulling it back and forth just the right way over that little bit. Well, see, just, I mean, just take some um, some sandpaper from a drum sander and wrap it around a car tire, and there you go. Well, see, and, and we're making jokes about this too, but just like the timber, getting it prepped for this. Imagine prepping a 12 foot wide hand plane blade, you know, oh, yeah. to be able to take a perfect shaving. That's yeah, nuts. definitely. Or or the or the sole of that hand plane. I'm sure that's one they would not let me even look at. Yeah, don't get banana banana. Well, I was almost called you a banana hammock vandalist, but oh, well, that's not, thank you, thank that's you, That's sir. not what thank I meant. Very much. <laughs> banana sole, banana plane, ham hands and the banana sole. There you go. <laughs> Sweet. All right. Well, let's move on to something, <laughs> something else. And we have uh, Mitch, and he sent in a video. He says, "Gents, here's an entertaining indie film about plywood with a dabbling of woodworking technique that I thought you might enjoy." And now, this is uh, the, the name of the video is a love letter to plywood. The, I say that this video is it's a few years old, and I remember I posted this over at Matt's Basement Workshop. As soon as I heard the name, and uh, when I originally posted it, I put up a little disclaimer. So I'm gonna I'm gonna remind people about this one in case they don't remember when I posted that. Uh, the disclaimer is that there is a brief moment of nudity at the five minute forty one mark. So if everybody wants to just go right there, just say so in other words, just, <laughs> just go right there. Zip to fi- well, actually, you should know that it's not Matt that's naked at five forty one. Yeah, I mean, I, I love plywood, but I am not in the video. You know, this is one of those things we're starting to get a lot of content coming in that I know I've seen it before. I don't even know if we've like talked about it on Wood Talk, but we might have. Right. You know, so forgive us if we repeat this stuff every five years, because that's kind of like these things are cyclical and they seem to keep coming around and we don't want to miss them. But we might repeat ourselves once in a while. Right. Because just like podcasting has been around long enough that we're experiencing the same problems magazines have now. Yeah. Yeah. You can only go so far without repeating topics. Yeah, it's like when bell bottoms come back. We're pretty much in that phase right now. Just like it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, fine. We're at the uh, tight rolled jean phase. There you go. <laughs> All right, Shannon. All right, this is one that I am actually submitting to the queue. <clears throat> it's it's puppets and woodworking. I mean, how can you not be excited about this? This what? is a video that Jim Tolpin put out and you know he's the guy with george walker and by hand and eye the book that lost art press put out and jim somehow got into his head that it would be a good idea to do like a stop motion animation puppet video and he walks through the basic principles of whole number of proportion design and it's funny because matt you and i sat next to each other in this presentation at woodworking in america in 2009 yep um where he did designs the little footstool using hand proportions. This is that seminar in about four minutes in stop motion animation puppets. Oh, in that case, that uh, in that case, Shannon, you don't have to send me the notes from there that I was still waiting (laughs) for. I'll just go watch the video. There's also a dog in there, which really, really rounds it out. You know, this is one owner of a Newfoundland golden retriever mix. I truly appreciate the purebred (laughs) newfie in that. (laughs) This is one of my favorite woodworking videos ever. I, I, it really, yeah, it really struck a chord with me. And I think it teaches that one 
fundamental missing link that a lot of people um, don't really, they don't understand initially when they start designing furniture. And I count myself puppetry. among them. Yes. The importance of stop motion puppetry. Um, <laughs> but the, the concept of that whole number ratio design elements, most people go to the golden ratio. And I think that there's lots of complex calculations involved in designing pieces. And the reality is a lot of people and historically what was used is whole number ratios. And we can all understand to one, you know, four to two, and just the, the way those things work, it's a little bit easier for us to wrap our heads around. And this really sums it up nicely in an entertaining way that even if you know what they're talking about and you've heard it a thousand times, you want to watch it just because it's cool. Stop animation. This is one of my favorite videos I've seen about woodworking. Nice. I'm going to have to put that on my list tonight. It's good. Really good. All right, let's move on to our poll of the week from our good buddy, Tom Iovino. And if you remember, last week was uh, Get Woodworking Week. And the question was, have you ever mentored someone in woodworking? And there's quite a few responses there. You can go see them all. But 51% said, you bet, I love doing that. 31% said, no, but would love to try. And 3% said, no, I haven't, and I never want to. And also, (laughs) get off off my lawn. lawn. (laughs) Where's my grape soda? Get off my lawn. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, the mean people. Uh, but yeah, lots of good responses for that. It was a lot of fun. And this week, we asked the question, do you use metal drawer slides? And uh, we've, we've alluded to this on the show before in talking about whether metal drawer slides have a place in fine woodworking pieces. Only so, if I'm not doing fine woodworking. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, all email goes to Shannon at... Um, yeah, so if you are uh, if you have used or, or maybe you purposely do not use metal drawer slides in your work, head over to thewoodwhisperer.com and you'll see the poll there on the homepage. Go ahead and let us know what you think about it. Sweet. Yeah. All right, let's move into our kickback. This is where you guys just tell us some stuff or have reactions to things that we said or uh, something silly that Matt said, this is where you can uh, voice it back, kick it back at us. Well, uh, there should be filled with way more things in here. It might. Yeah. Well, we filter <laughs> some of those out. So, Oh, that's true. Uh, Lance Thank wrote you. in and he says uh, he's in the air force currently lives in Tucson. Uh, he says, Why I have jets over Mark's house all the time. <laughs> I yes. Just think of that. Yeah, they're, they're, today they are really practicing a lot. Uh, all day long. It's trying to get on the show. That's what it is. Uh, Currently live in Tucson. I've got some kickback on Ikea using more solid woods. When I was in Germany, it seemed that all of the furniture that they sold was solid wood. So I think they're just trying to introduce that into the American market. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Just to know. Sweet. Okay. uh, Hold on. I'm I'm getting caught up here. I suddenly got thrown off there. Uh, This one comes from Brian, (laughs) and this fits perfectly. Does pretentious Matt have any advice on where I can find a safety monocle to wear in the wood shop? I'll send my manservant Bertram to procure one post haze. Uh, Actually, he does. And uh, unfortunately, his manservant didn't send me the link. Uh, I, I, I do have we'll have to put it in the show notes. I'm searching for it right now. Maybe pretentious Matt can call in. Because uh, you did not do a good job of preparing for this. <laughs> so, do, does a safety monocle have like the little side shield on the side there to prevent stuff from coming in from the side? I think it's just made of a, a heavier, probably more expensive uh, material. I was going to say that would look like some sort of Borg face apparatus. It's probably made of like some sort of meteorite uh, metal. I do remember there was a comment about uh, getting not the monocle, but instead using a pinch nase. Uh, mm. So that's the little one that pinches on the nostril. Uh, in fact, I do believe it was uh, Pretentious Matt's uh, Uncle Mortimer 
who was the one that was an investor in that. So you might want to check that out. We have gone so far off the rails with this. <laughs> you might want to listen back I'm, an episode or two ago if you have no idea what pretentious Matt is. I'm on the show and I have no idea what we're talking about. This is great. <laughs> All right, let's move into our voicemail. Uh, maybe this will get us back back on track here. Uh, Bob had a, No, most likely not. Uh, Bob had a question about veneer substrates and a couple other things. This is Bob sending greetings from Tropical Holland, Michigan. Gentlemen, I have a question concerning veneer substrates. I watched Mark's humidor veneering sequence and I've looked over the information available at veneer supplies, but I'm still confused as to how to select my substrate. Specifically, I'm looking into veneering some nightstand drawer fronts. I plan on making the actual front of the drawer with my substrate, but could apply a false front if that's a better way to go. It looks like MDF is the material of choice. Next comes plywood. But I even saw Mark uh, Veneer Solid Spanish Cedar in the Humidor series. I understood this to be a matter of keeping with the looks of the inside of the humidor. And since I'm not too concerned with how my drawer looks on the inside, is it better to use MDF or plywood over solid hardwood? Also, where do you stand on the balancing of veneers, putting front and back? Um, I have a hard time understanding that that really makes a difference. And just as a matter of general discussion, how durable is MDF? Granted, the door, the drawers aren't going to take much abuse, but when it comes to other parts, um, if you do happen to use MDF, uh, how durable is it compared to, say, solid wood? I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much, and keep up the great work. Take care. All right. Thanks for that question, Bob. So there's a lot to this question and hopefully I'll cover most of what he asked. Um, yeah. So he's asking mostly about substrates, right? So plywood versus, uh, MDF. Um, let me make a quick correction. He, he did say that the humidor used solid wood and he want, he said that it was to retain the look on the interior. Um, the only reason we did that is because it's a humidor. So if you have Spanish cedar and then you cover it with a veneer on the inside, you're sort of defeating the purpose of using Spanish cedar in the first place. Um, so that's the reason why you would do that. Now, normally I don't veneer solid wood. I mean, you can, it's just something that I'm not in the habit of doing. I really prefer uh, a mostly stable substrate, be it like MDF or Baltic birch ply. Um, so in most cases, yeah, I would not be doing solid wood. Uh, you know, I tend to go back and forth. It depends on the project that I'm doing. And a lot of times I let the rest of the project dictate what I'm going to use. So if I'm doing like in his example, a drawer and I'm using plywood for the sides and the back and the bottom of the drawer, then I'm probably just going to use that same plywood with a veneer over it to make the drawer front. Um, to me, it just makes the most sense. But there's certainly nothing wrong with using MDF, especially for something that isn't going to get a whole lot of, um, you know, activity like a drawer front. Once it's locked in place and you got a piece of hardware on there, you're not really going to do much to the drawer front. Um, so he also brought up veneering both sides. This is something that it's it's very interesting. If you try it yourself, you'll know. Uh, if you do a very uh, thin like maybe a quarter inch or a half inch piece of stock and you veneer that you're going to probably see it more than if you veneer something that's three quarters of an inch. But ultimately when you veneer one side, you do have that tendency for the veneer to dry and just kind of pull back and you'll get a little bit of cupping. So it does present some challenges. It doesn't necessarily always happen. In some cases it might not happen, but it can happen. And that's why you're sort of erring on the side of caution 
when you're veneering both sides of the piece. It just keeps it balanced. And if you have to do, let's say it's a drawer front, all right, and you veneer one side, if that cups or bows on you, what are you going to do when you when it comes time to do your joinery? Um, you, you have a piece that's not flat anymore. So it's really important that it stays flat. So you don't want to take any chances there. Um, the, the ironic thing is a drawer front is probably the one place where I would say because the drawer front's locked in its position by the two drawer sides, if it was going to warp after the fact, that would be kind of the best case scenario because it's already locked into position. Um, but it's a moot point because the cupping that occurs will typically happen like as soon as the glue is dry you'll start to see that. So you won't be able to cut those dovetails or whatever joints in there as easily as you might without, uh, if you had balanced the veneer. Um, so yeah, that's about all I have to say about that. So I wanted to throw it to you guys in terms of MDF durability and just your thoughts on that. So using MDF in his cases as a core for the, the substrate, but if you have cabinet sides out of an MDF or making an entire project out of MDF, how do you feel in terms of the overall durability of it as a building material? Well, we actually have a uh, a desk that I had built, gosh, about 10 years ago out of MDF. And while it still makes me nervous every time we move it, and by move it, I mean uh, we drag it across the floor. <laughs> um, it, it does make me slightly nervous when we do it, but we've had it for over 10 years, and I don't think a joint has come apart yet. Uh, so, so far it's worked pretty good. It's not my favorite to work with and I will go way out of my way not to use it. Um, it has more to do actually with, with the weight and then just the fact that it is so nasty to work with in the sense of like all the dust and everything that gets thrown back up in your face. But if you do the the right joinery with it, take the time to make sure that things are, are fitting the right way and that you've got enough support across the, the joints, however it is you're doing it. I would, I mean, I, the joinery I'm usually talking about here is typically some sort of modified butt joint and probably some sort of mechanical fastener in there uh, to make sure that it all holds together and making sure I have the right number of mechanical fasteners. Sure. Um, it's, it's a decent material to work with, but again, it's not, it's not at the top of my list. In fact, I wouldn't even put it anywhere in the middle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think for, for me, the only times I'm really going to incorporate MDF are uh, two scenarios. One is if, I don't know, uh, let's say it's a captured panel, you know, a side panel to a frame and panel case. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's actually solid wood around it, but the panel itself is kind of captured in the middle. You know, you're not really asking too much of it other than, you know, don't move too much, be stable and don't fall apart. And MDF can certainly do those things. Um, and most of the other times I'll use it, I'm directly attaching some solid wood and gluing it on to the outside, which really increases its durability. If it, if the sides are exposed or if you're counting on that MDF to hold screws or do anything else joinery-wise, that might be where you're asking for a little bit more of a problem. Um, but I think for panels, man, MDF just stays flat. It's nice and dense. It makes a really nice heavy panel when it's all said and done. So I think used properly, there's nothing wrong with MDF. You just got to well, kind of incorporate just- it. Just based on the volume of MDF core plywood that we sell every day to high-end cabinet shops, yeah. it works just fine. Right. Um, I, we even sell MDF core sheet goods to um, the marine industry <clears throat> because there's so much other stuff that goes on. You know, they're just literally they're using as a substrate, and there's a bunch of other stuff. Um, you, you can't really call it veneer, but like three h inch thick. Uh, material that goes mm-hmm. on the outside. Like a lot of times they'll put a, a teak 
overlay on top of it and it'll be uh tongue and groove three eighths inch thick yeah. and then there's epoxy that goes on top of that <laughs> right. so they're putting it down or in some cases there is no teak and they're fiberglassing and you have to have that dead flat perfectly smooth surface for the fiberglass to lay down properly so we sell mdf um and you know there are boat builders then there are really good boat builders that go to you know full-blown uh, bs 1088 marine plywood but you know, there's plenty of really, really nice boats that use MDF plywood. There you go. With a lot of other stuff on top of it. Cool. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, put lots of stuff on it. It'll be fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. Yeah. All right. Uh, everything you can to hide it. There you go. All right. Let's move into our email. I've got one here from John. He says, I'm building a bench to memorialize my young son who passed away last month. Sorry about that, uh, John. That's terrible. Um, I'll be using a large milled one piece walnut slab for the seat, nine quarter around 13 inch by 40 inch. The base will be made of seven quarter walnut with domino end dominoed. Sorry, <laughs> turn that into a word I've never seen dominoed <laughs> joints. Uh, and he references jewelry from uh, framework jewelry Brig- Brigham, who's one heck of a builder. You guys see that stuff that guy makes. Yeah, and it's funny because I was actually watching an episode of that. I didn't read uh, all of John's email here because I actually, it, I'm being completely honest here. It kind of hit me in a, in a in a parental way. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but when it, I, I was I watched a, an episode, a previous episode, and there was one in there where they were getting ready to build a, a chase lounge for Common, and I looked at the way that they had the designs, and I'm like, oh my god, that looks like. Like uh, an image (laughs) that we saw from this email. Right, right. Uh, He says, so what do you recommend for attaching the top to the base? I like the idea of using those blocks that Mark used on the rustic outdoor table that he made recently. My concern is someone later trying to lift the bench by the top. All right, so uh, this is a video series, two-part series that I did on my website about a, basically it's a rustic outdoor farm table style, little dining table for outside. And uh, the way I attached the benches and the, the tabletop were to use these little clips. So think of, um, imagine routing just a little mortise into the side rails, and then you use this rabbited clip that goes into that mortise, but then also screws into the tabletop. And if you position them right, you actually allow that top to expand and contract while still being held down firmly and and tight to the aprons. Um, There's another way you can do this with hardware using like figure eight fasteners. They're basically like two washers that have been kind of, um, you know, molded into one piece to be a figure eight. So one gets screwed into the top of the apron and then the other gets screwed into the underside of the top. And that also allows for a little bit of that movement. Um, So to me, I don't, I mean, for smaller pieces, lighter weight pieces, no problem with the figure eight fasteners, but for bigger things, I really like using those blocks. I think they're, they're really strong. And if you're concerned about them, you know, being lifted on and and putting too much uh, stress on them, just put more of them. There's no reason why you can't have a series of eight of those across each side. Uh, Can you refresh my memory what these blocks are you're talking about? I remember watching that video, but uh, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're basically take a, a square block and cut a little rabbit in the end. Oh, okay, and then stick it into a groove. In and the then apron. put that into the little groove okay. that's on the, the side of the apron. And that's all it is. And it basically is putting just enough pressure to hold it down while as expansion and contraction occur, it still has movement to move in and out of that mortise. Uh, and I've moved all of these pieces numerous times in, in the backyard, and they held up really well. And I was actually conservative with how many of those I added. So if I was concerned that they weren't going to be strong enough, just add more. And then all that weight is distributed amongst all of those little clips. Uh, and then you might even add at the center of the, the ones on the ends. A lot of times we don't add anything there if it's a bench because it's not that deep. 
but you can add another clip on both ends that is glued in place if it's centered. And then all movement is focused to both of the outsides. And those two alone with glue could actually do a pretty good um, you know, job of helping uh, take some of that weight and pressure when someone inevitably is going to move this thing by lifting the top of it, uh, which is kind of just what people do. Just do a through dowel and wedge it on the ends. There you go. Then you've got a cool design detail with a, you know, a me- mechanical joint from that wedged uh, dowel or peg or sure. mortise or whatever. There you go. So, yeah, that's about that. Uh, Matt, you're up. All right. Well, this question came in from Matt. Not this Matt, but a different Matt. Mm. And not pretentious Matt either. And Matt was saying, I was looking at the Veritas router plane and I noticed it comes with an optional fence. Now, is this a useful accessory or a nice filler material for a drawer in my shop? So I've kind of picked this question because amongst the uh, many things that I've been doing with the dresser build, I have been using my router plane a lot. And I mean a lot, a lot, probably more than I've used it since I've actually owned it. (laughs) So uh, I've been getting quite familiar with it. And I do have to say that I have the optional fence. And while I have intended on using it, I think it will probably still sit in the drawer that it's sitting in right now. Uh, The only reason why I would see really a need for the fence is if I were to use use the plane for actually creating a a groove or dado or a groove or maybe – I don't use it for a rabbit, but for a, a groove along the way or something where I need to have it inset a certain way. Now, I don't do my grooves using the router plane, I use, I make my grooves every other way except with the router plane. So for me, it, it's a uh, it, it's a nice a nice to have, but I probably won't ever use it. Now, as I was looking at uh, Lee Valley's website, I noticed that they have, of course, a whole variety of more blades than they did from when I first purchased it. And it looks like they also have an inlay cutter head that you can get for uh, the router plane. So if I were to use that inlay cutter head, this is something that perhaps the fence would be useful for uh, because actually the fence has two faces. There's one that is a flat face and then it has another one which you can use much more easily on rounded surfaces. So if you plan on doing something like cutting your grooves with the router plane, then perhaps the fence might be something you'd want to consider or if you're interested in this inlay cutter head, this might be another reason for it. But typically, if you're just going to use it to clean up existing dados or grooves or something, again, it's probably going to just sit in the drawer more than anything else. Mm. At least from mm. where I'm sitting. Cool. Mm. Cool or not cool, depending on your perspective. Yeah, exactly. So it either <laughs> saves you some money or it's a reason now that you yeah. need to get one. There you go. <laughs> hey, it comes with it. It's free, right? It does it? No, the, the fence comes extra. Really? Yeah, I don't think I yeah. have a fence with mine. Yeah, it's an optional fence. Yep. Uh, twenty one fifty for the optional fence. Or you can get I mean, the router plane and fence, which is just $10 more if, than if you just bought the router plane by itself. Huh. I don't remember paying extra for it, but I bought that thing so long ago. Yeah, they well, yeah, may have exactly. changed things. Yeah, they're well, probably like, whoa, we could have charged more for this. <laughs> well, Matt, if you really want that fence, you can have mine. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> that will be up on the next giveaway. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, used once router plane fence. <laughs> All right. This uh, email comes from Michael. He says, last year I made my daughter a cedar-lined raised panel hope chest with an oil and poly finish. 
today I had to move it, and besides noticing that I have a that I have a wicked cupping going on when I opened the lid, the bottom had the consistency of flypaper, only where there is no airflow. The project was properly cured by the time I gave it to her, so I don't know where this sticky mess is coming from. The chest sits by an easterly window, which gets a lot of sun, which is probably where the cupping is coming from. Could this sticky goo be from the cedar off-gassing and condensing on the top? I can fix the cupping in the goo, but I've never had this problem before and would like to avoid it in the future. So, a um, couple reasons I chose this. I'm really glad that he said it sits in an easterly window and gets a lot of sun. There's a lot of people who don't think about this. And based upon the number of phone calls I get from contractors and builders and things every day at the lumber yard. You know, yes, it's inside. Yes, it's a climate-controlled building. But stand by a, a sunny window on a summer day and you tell me if your climate control is working. <laughs> right. um, bright sunshine means a lot of heat. And it will do all kinds of things to especially a closed chest. And if you've got heat building up inside that chest, there's any number of ways that that could happen. But I think there's also a mixture of things going on here. The goo... Um, he doesn't say what kind of cedar, but I'm going to assume aromatic cedar because that's kind of ubiquitous with cedar chests for that kind of anti-moth smelly interior. When you mm-hmm. open it and ooh, it smells like cedar chest because it's aromatic cedar inside. Speaking of my earlier allergies, <laughs> red cedar, aromatic cedar is incredibly resinous and it has a tendency to weep. Um, it can weep right after you've milled it. It can weep months or years later after it's been milled. If there is a fair amount, there is a fair amount of resin in the cell walls and with excess heat, the resin will rise to the surface. So with that extra heating going on inside, basically you just boiled off the resin. And because he used not just an oil finish, but an oil and poly finish, he put a film over top of this resinous material and that resinous material is really lovely. It can kind of chemically react and eat through uh, all kinds of things. So what your goo more than likely is, is a nice healthy mixture of cedar resin and polyurethane. And it's made of lovely, friendly goo. So one thing you can do is anytime you're using a resinous wood, and this goes if you're gluing it or finishing it, wipe it down with mineral spirits or naphtha or something like that before you apply the finish. That will certainly help the adhesion. It's not going to necessarily prevent resin from coming back up. Really, the best way to prevent resin from coming is to properly kiln dry it and set that resin. So it is something if you're going to buy um, a really resinous wood, you can ask your your provider, ask your lumber dealer, uh, has the resin been set? Um, it's not a, a mysterious practice. There are not that many dry kilns that can get up that high, but it's also not, you know, it's not impossible. People who specialize in really resinous woods know that they have to bake it a little bit hotter for a little bit longer in order to set that resin. Um, but again, if there's going to be in an area where it's going to get a lot of heat, that resin may come back. So you combat that by not applying a film finish over top of it. If you've just got a penetrating finish, it's not going to trap in that resin and the resin will be allowed to um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Cure. Um, harden up. So, you know, it's really, really resinous woods are always going to have problems like that. But the best thing you want to do is not trap it with some sort of vapor barrier, which is what a film finish can do for you. Cool. What say you, gentlemen? Anything else? 
Uh, you know, I would be cautious just finishing the inside of a chest in general and covering yeah. it with too much finish to begin with. Um, right. Because, you know, the same thing we talked about with the uh, Spanish cedar on the inside of a humidor, you're really looking for the properties of that wood in its in its natural state. And I guess you can apply some things and be gentle with it. But ultimately, I want it to be what it is. So I, w- I would probably yeah. lay off a finish, uh, especially in oil poly, you know, like that. It's something that it, I'm surprised. Which it really, will impart its own flavor yeah, to the clothing or it, whatever you put exactly, in Exactly. Yeah, that's the kind of thing you want to avoid putting on the inside. So if I were to do anything, it might just be, you know, a couple coats of shellac. Uh, but ultimately probably would recommend doing nothing, you know, just for the sake of letting it be what it is. Well, the reason cedar chests are lined with cedar is for anti-bugs to keep the bugs away. Well, that's the resin. That's the resin that does it. That's what makes Western red cedar, aromatic cedar, Atlantic cedar, any of these cedars, really good exterior woods. They're anti, they're rot resistant, which basically means the bugs don't like them. Um, And it's because of that resin. I don't know if it tastes bad or it kills them or whatever. If you seal it, I'm making air quotes around seal, by the way. Um, oh, you sorry. are essentially eliminating some of that that um, anti-insect nature, um, anti-moth in the case of a cedar chest. So, yeah, yeah if you can, you might want to think about stripping that finish and just leaving it as is. It's the wood that makes it good, Michael. <laughs> no, no. What was it you were supposed to ask the uh, the lumber dealer? There is has the resin been set? Yes. Okay, that sounds like some sort of spy thing. And <laughs> with the people that have, I feel have been uh, following me recently, that probably would get me in more trouble. The resin has been set. The resin, the resin has, has been, been set. set. Yes, that's that, that's going to be the, that's actually my uh, uh, my secret dungeon world uh, password. That's my safe word. <laughs> nice. Oh, uh, what it basically means is they've raised the kiln about twenty to thirty degrees higher than you normally would, um, and you only would do that. Um, we do it for Spanish cedar. We don't dry. We don't carry a, a lot of, of domestic cedars. We do have some Western red, uh, but that's not nearly as resinous as like uh, uh, aromatic cedar, red cedar. Um, but Spanish cedar is really known for getting very, very weepy. And um, you've got to – it takes longer to dry because obviously the higher you go in temperature, the slower you got to go to get there. Um, which is usually what also drives the price up on some of these species too, because the kiln dry process takes longer. You know what weeps a lot besides Spanish cedar? Mexican mat. Uh, me yeah, especially when, uh, when when Mistress Samantha doesn't <laughs> listen to my safe words and keeps on going. Okay, so if you want to support wow. this show, <laughs> the good one, Matt. All right, if you want to support that us, gets the resin rising. <laughs> you can with recurring donations or one-time donations, and those are uh, available in the left-hand column at WoodTalkShow.com. You could also buy a WoodTalk T-shirt at TWWStore.com, and now. You can, well, it's, it kind of helps us because you, you can sign up for our newsletter when you do this, but you can get something for yourself at the woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway giveaway. Yeah, giveaway giveaway. Giving away stuff. You don't even have to do anything for it. Just do a, click a couple things and boom, you're entered. It's pretty give awesome. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Yes, just like Anthony Kieda says. All right, uh, iTunes now, reviews. Let, can, I, can I clarify one thing? Because sure. I don't honestly no, um, I know why you do this on the Wood Whisperer site, but since these are our products we're giving away, yeah, we can give them away globally, can't we? If no, 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 <laughs> no, it's Shannon. oh well, no, it, like, I know okay. with like the tools and things, you, it's North American only because you you're asking tool manufacturers. 
manufacturers to ship to Hong Kong or whatever. But nope, if that's, it's a, that's not actually correct. And uh, no, you're you're okay. part of the problem, not part of the solution, Shannon. Oh, oh my well, Lord see, Jesus. I'm glad I shone, shone a light on this. <laughs> In yeah. fact, I'm glad you said something because we should be stipulating that this is for uh, United States and Canada only. And I will say this once and probably have to say it 30 times on the website because it always comes up. It's not because we don't like people outside of uh, this continent. It's because... I never said that. <laughs> no, but other people do, trust me. Um, they think it's a conspiracy. Um, yeah, so basically it comes down to international giveaway rules. Every region where you hold a giveaway and make people eligible, uh, you actually have to abide by their local laws, restrictions, requirements. In a lot of cases, there are fees to be paid. There are forms to fill out. It's a mess. And you want to know a little known fact about giveaways and sweepstakes in Canada? If you win, part of the process is you have to answer a math question. What? Look it up. We do it. And we. And anytime someone in Canada wins one of our giveaways, we have to ask them a math question. Uh, I don't make the rules. These are just the dumb rules that these various countries have. So the bottom line is... A particular it, question? Are we talking differential equation here? Simple it, algebra? It just has to be something to kind of prove that they are who they are or that they're <laughs> have a particular aptitude for math. I don't know. I don't understand exactly what it is, but there are uh, rules and restrictions that have to be followed. And we open ourselves for a lot of liability by having giveaways outside of the U S and there was a time when we could get away with that because we flew under the radar and we're no longer in that phase of our development and we can't do it anymore. So you know what? That explains a lot of Canadian winners from Matt's basement workshop giveaways that just would inundate me with mathematical answers. And I'm thinking, (laughs) why are you guys being so showy out of nowhere? It's like, you know what the square root of 49 is? I do. Oh, good. Seven. Seven. I know that one. (laughs) Yeah. So as much as we love our international friends, and listeners and, and, and followers who pay attention to what we do, uh, this is something that's out of our control. And we, we apologize for that, even though it's not our fault. Uh, all right. So yeah, woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway. And also you could leave us a review in the iTunes store. Just uh, find us, look for us in the store, click on ratings and reviews and give us a five-star rating. If you don't mind, that'd be great. Just like Kazbarian did. He calls himself a wood talk addict says, for relief from irritation caused by wife, kids, boss, traffic, or any other annoying crap, just one dose of wood talk will set you straight. I love it. And uh, I'm going to click, was this review helpful? Yes, it was. I'm going to click, yes, it was. <laughs> That's awesome. I wonder if uh, Kasbarian also is uh, subscribed to any of the uh, divorce uh, podcasts that are out there. Or... <laughs> he might be now. <laughs> cool. All right, Matt, how about you give him that contact info? We'll get out of here. All right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, question, topic, suggestion, or a possible math answer for our Canadian listeners? There's several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment on our Woodtalk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's shows or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. Very nice. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Canada to explain to me the whole thing about i i is equal to the square root of negative one because my professors always got mad at me when i questioned what the actual applied use of that would be so people in canada maybe you can clear it up yeah maybe that sounds good all right i'm trying i'm trying to close i'm trying to close the show here guys no probably really good at metric conversions because they have so many giveaways (laughs) (laughs) very nice all right let's uh you know what how about i'm gonna i'm gonna close it very awkwardly right now